You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Fox Kitten appears to combine three APTs linked to Iran. LokiBot is masquerading as an installer for Epic Games. Unsigned firmware has been found in multiple devices. Extortion is threatened to flood AdSense banners with bot traffic. China says the empire of hackers is in Washington, not Beijing. Iowa Democratic Caucus IT postmortems continue. Japan connects the SoftBank breach to the GRU. And more on that hacker madness poster from the West Midlands. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 18th, 2020. ClearSky outlines the Fox Kitten campaign, which it calls an Iranian operation directed primarily against the U.S. and Israel. Fox Kitten has been active, ClearSky says, for three years, and it's proceeded largely by exploiting VPNs and RDP. The company concludes with medium confidence that the campaign represents a collaborative effort among three APTs, APT-33, Elfin, APT-34, Oil Rig, and APT-39, Chafer. The sectors of interest to Fox Kitten appear to be IT, utilities, defense and aviation, and petroleum. These are essentially the sectors Elfin, Oil Rig, and Chafer worked most heavily against. Trend Micro warns that LokiBot is distributing malware disguised as an installer from the Epic Games store. Epic Games publishes Fortnite and other popular diversions. Eclipsium has issued a study that suggests the prevalence of unsigned firmware in Wi-Fi adapters, USB hubs, trackpads, and cameras in use in computers from Lenovo, Dell, HP, and other major manufacturers. Krebs on Security reports a new extortion scam, This one targets website owners who display banner ads through Google's AdSense program. The extortionists threaten to flood the ads with enough bot traffic to cause Google's automated tools to suspend the victim's account. Google suggests that this won't really work, so the extortion threat is largely empty. Google told Krebs, We hear a lot about the potential for sabotage. It's extremely rare in practice, and we have built some safeguards in place to prevent sabotage from succeeding. End quote. Google says mostly invalid traffic, that is, traffic of the kind the extortionists threaten, is filtered before it affects advertisers and publishers. So it's probably safe to put this scam in the scare category. It works if it convinces you. Otherwise, not. 
As the U.S. continues to warn allies against using Huawei equipment, China's foreign minister replies by complaining that Washington, not Beijing, is the problem. No one spies like the Americans, they say. Citing Crypto AG and the matter of Chancellor Merkel's cell phone, Foreign Ministry Representative Jing Shuan said, Facts have proven once again that as the largest state actor of spying in cyberspace, the U.S. is worthy of the name of the Empire of Hackers. The sky is the limit with the U.S. when it comes to spying. End quote. Says they. The Washington Cyber Roundtable is a nonprofit industry liaison group with a mission of connecting technology, consulting, and professional services firms on cybersecurity and related issues. They are perhaps best known for the handful of events they host each year, intimate, invitation-only gatherings, where candid discussion is the goal. Caitlin Bulavanitz is managing director of the Washington Cyber Roundtable. The Washington Cyber Roundtable was started over 11 years ago by our founder, George Myers, who recognized that there wasn't a venue for government and industry cyber professionals to collaborate and share ideas because at the time, a lot of the challenges that were being faced in the public sector were being solved in the private sector. So the Washington Cyber Roundtable, we facilitate roundtable events for government and industry professionals to have candid conversations that are non-attributional about cyber challenges. So that's been our mission, and it's solving a unique problem and helping move the needle in the right direction a little bit at a time. And the events that you put together here, I mean, these are fairly uh, unique in the scale of them. These are not, uh, you know, big, big rooms full of lots of people. These are intimate get-togethers. That's correct. We limit attendance to 15 to 20 people. 25 is the absolute tops because we want everyone to be able to have a conversation. So our events are invite only to our membership. And then we also invite our past speakers. So they like to chat with their peers in government and in industry. Can you give us some insights on to the kind of the matchmaking process that you do here, how you choose the connections that you're going to make to, to make sure that you get these valuable conversations happening? Sure. So we naturally look to see what is going on in the larger dialogue from a cyber policy perspective. And then we also have an excellent team of advisors and our membership also can weigh in on what they're seeing from a private sector perspective. Some of our past speakers will be great with telling us event ideas. So we have a lot of feelers out to identify what might be a unique perspective that hasn't been raised yet, but has value to contributing to the cyber national security conversation. And what do you hear from the attendees of these sorts of events? What, what sort of feedback are you getting from them? From a WCR perspective, that it's a unique opportunity to engage in conversations from our government speakers who will also offer the opportunity to do a follow-on report. So if there are some ideas that need to be further explored or evaluated, we will 
engage in that type of report. So we have a lot of partners as well. So we're able to go into deeper context and really get to kind of the different ideas that should be expressed and should be explored, have an opportunity to do that. What is the, the cycle? I mean, how, how many events are you hosting in a, in a typical year? So we hold about eight to nine roundtable events a year, and then we'll offer the follow-on engagement to further explore the ideas. And then we plan our events. We'll plan things pretty far in advance, but we'll only send out the invites for one event at a time and just to our membership on our invite list. I see. And so if someone wants to find out more, if this is something they're thinking perhaps they, they want to mm-hmm. become engaged with, what's the best way to uh, find out more information about the organization? So after our events, we'll do a brief summary on our website or on our social media on LinkedIn. That's really the best way. We do have a number of great events coming up for 2020. So we're going to be having an event with the Department of State and DHS on interagency collaboration on cyber and the digital economy with a focus of the Indo-Pacific. We'll be also looking at undersea cables and we'll be having an event with Congressman Langevin on the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. Our goal is for attendees to have like an aha moment in our events. So it's not just the talking points, but it's something that you can really dive deeper into. That's Caitlin Bulavinitz from the Washington Cyber Roundtable. As Iowa Democrats work their way through the re-canvassing of the Sanders and Buttigieg campaigns requested after this month's difficulties with the Iowa Democratic Caucus, observers continue to work through what happened and why and what lessons, if any, the caucus holds for election security as a whole. The Iowa party notoriously struggled to reach a credible and accurate caucus result as it worked through the resistant medium of the Iowa Reporter app, a product of Shadow Incorporated. The Washington Post has published its look into the troubled Iowa Democratic Caucus. The paper concludes that, first, the problems were years in preparation, and second, that the Democratic National Committee appears to have been more involved than it initially seemed. The National Party, eager to avoid a repetition of 2016's intramural ill-feeling in which Senator Sanders supporters felt the game was rigged for eventual nominee Hillary Clinton, pushed the state parties toward what they hoped would prove more transparent processes. This especially represented a departure for caucuses like the one in Iowa. The Post's investigation concluded that party officials, however, never effectively vetted the basic tool used to collect and publish those results. The review found they hardly questioned why an app was necessary rather than a simpler reporting method, though internal correspondence shows that DNC staffers were privy to discussions about the testing and rollout of the technology. Democratic National Committee representatives have consistently maintained that their only role was to ensure the cybersecurity of Shadow Inc.'s software and on the reliability side to create a backup system to double-check the delicate math from the app as a precaution in case there was a hack. If nothing else, the incident probably should teach everyone that security and reliability aren't necessarily the same thing. Assuming that Iowa Reporter app was as secure as such things can be, the fact that it was unlikely to be hacked doesn't mean that it could be counted on to work as advertised, which, of course, it didn't. 
In what Nikkei reads as a warning against attempting to meddle with the Tokyo Olympics, Japan's government has attributed the SoftBank breach to Russia's GRU. Prime Minister Abe's government has sought improved relations with Moscow, but the foreign ministry's attribution of the incident to Russian military intelligence suggests that Tokyo remains particularly sensitive to potential threats to the Olympic Games. The Games have been a Russian target since the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea, Animus against the World Anti-Doping Authority's strictures against Russian teams seems to have provoked Moscow with motive enough to hack. Finally, we return to the odd case of the public safety hacker madness poster the West Midlands police issued in the UK, the one that was immediately repudiated last week by the National Crime Agency. The West Midlands police say they didn't do it, they tell you. Here's their tweet on the subject. The poster, produced by a third party, was created as an aid memoir to assist teachers with safeguarding in schools. It was taken from wider information on cyber tools, which could be used to commit cyber attacks, but equally have a legitimate purpose. Well, okay, so they sort of did it. But let all who've never created an aid memoir cast the first stone. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security, also my co-host on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, always great to have you back. Good to be with you, Dave. We got word recently that the chairman of the FCC put Congress on notice that uh, 
that some of the wireless carriers have apparently violated federal law when it comes to selling customers' location data. That is something you and I have tracked here over and over again. What's uh, what's going on here? Yeah, so back in May of 2018, there were multiple reports that indicated that pretty much every major carrier, including the big guys, the Verizons, AT&T, Sprint's, T-Mobile's, sorry mm-hmm. if I'm excluding you, fellow uh, mobile carriers, <laughs> uh, were selling location data to resellers. And right. those resellers could either resell it or give it away. And, you know, that was a major breach and an invasion of privacy. So you saw a lot of privacy advocates petition to the Federal Communications Commission under the leadership of Ajit Pai to issue some type of criminal sanction against these companies. Hmm. So basically what Chairman Pai is doing is proposing a notice of apparent liability for forfeiture, which is an official declaration from the FCC saying that somebody's violated the rules and they're going to be penalized. And this means that these companies are going to be fined. Hmm. Now, that's all the information we have at the moment. You know, it's been a couple of weeks now, and we don't think that anything else has come out. So we don't know which companies are going to be subject to this punishment. The reaction in the privacy community has largely been, what took you so long? (laughs) Uh, This was such an obvious breach of privacy uh, on the part of these companies that the FCC should have issued these fines a long time ago. Hmm. Um, That seems to be the reaction of both some of the interest groups and of Chairman Pallone himself. And not to mention some of the other commissioners of the uh, FCC. It's a bipartisan agency. So there are some, oftentimes you get dissenting commissioners uh, Mm. as part of that agency. Why it took so long is is an open question, but it is happening now. And we will see some of these companies be subject to FCC liability for the first time. um, And they're going to get, you know, a hefty fine, probably more than a, a simple slap on the wrist. Does anybody go to jail anymore, Ben? Well, it's hard for an entity like the FCC to go to jail, you know, I'm sorry, an entity like one of these companies to go to jail, because oftentimes it's hard to pin liability down on one individual. Mm. Um, but when it when we're talking about violations of Federal Communications Commission's regulations, that generally doesn't lead to jail time. Mm. Um, we're not going to see a CEO hauled out in handcuffs. Or I know that's so as, appealing. As gratifying as that might, if, may be. <laughs> if they weren't able to put Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson behind bars uh-huh, for yeah. what happened at the Super Bowl, oh, right, then right. it doesn't All look so good for Verizon. <laughs> okay. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, I, I mean, I suppose this is... Good news uh, for for those who who uh, are on the privacy sides of things. It's absolutely, I mean, better I late than never. It is. It's absolutely welcome development. You know, it took two years. You know, we knew in May of 2018 that multiple carriers were violating these privacy protections that exist in statute and uh, per FCC regulations, and we finally are taking uh, the FCC at least is taking this proactive step. So, in that sense, it is good news. Um, and, you know, better late than never, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll track it as always. Uh, ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.